Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by the mayor, Jeff Burton, here on the Monday after the round of eight opener at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Jeff, I think this was clearly the best race of the 2022 playoffs. You talk about all the moments we had. We had a stirring battle for the lead with a championship for bid on the line. We had playoff contenders who had major trouble after leading laps early. We had a playoff contender with a huge rally. We had a playoff contender with a surprisingly mediocre finish. We had a confrontation and a controversy. We're going to get to all that. But I just want to start with this felt like the first race in which we saw teams level up. And I, I know I've always heard you talk about that you like that about this time of year. The playoffs are generally when we see drivers stepping up their games. And did this race maybe feel more accustomed to what we've been seeing in the in the past that we hadn't really seen as much this year? We've had great mile and a half races this year. I mean, they've been really, really good. I mean, that's been, uh, you know, we went from people saying mile and a half's no good to saying, man, mile and a half's great. Then we got, then we, you know, we had some incidences and some races with tire failures, et cetera, uh, that kind of took that away. But this got back to that, quality of racing that we become accustomed to seeing this year on top of that you know the playoffs just bring a whole nother level and and uh that battle of Ross Chastain and Joey Logano I mean it's just that's great racing and both of them doing their jobs Ross getting everything he could but not overstepping the bounds Joey you know you know Joey he's gonna push no matter what (laughs) Ross is gonna push no matter what it's a heavyweight fight that was textbook it was textbook racing uh, the battles throughout the field all day long. It's just so much happening that, frankly, we couldn't show it all. I mean, it, it, there were so many battles and so many things happening. And then, you you know, what you mentioned, you, you sit there and you watch the nine car and Chase Elliott run the way Ray ran, and you're just like, what is happening? Like, you just right. kept waiting for them. Okay, they're just having a bad run, and they never got out of it. And everything, Chase Briscoe, I wouldn't have given – if you would have bet me 20-to-1 odds, 100-to-1 odds that he could finish where he finished, I'd be like, no way. <laughs> I mean, they were not good in practice. They did not have pace. They did everything right and took an average car and got a really – well, maybe below average car and got a really good finish out of it. So, uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah, and that's the second time that Chase Briscoe's done that in the playoffs. Mile-and-a-half yep. track, Texas, same thing, completely out of the game and manages to turn it into top five, just like he did Vegas. But Joey Logano, Ross Chastain. Joey Logano beats Ross Chastain, and the turning point seemed to be Joey Logano getting fresher tires with this pit stop for the final two critical restarts. He goes from 14th to 8th in one lap on the first restart, and then on the final restart with 16 laps to go, he goes from 8th to 1st and passes Chastain with two laps to go. So your perspective on how Logano kind of pulled that off, was it all about just fresher tires, or was it a lot of luck and Joey Logano making all the right moves? A little bit of all that. I mean, Joey Logano is one of the very best on restarts. Uh, He's one of the very best on capitalizing with opportunities. Got a little better tire than the guys in front of him. If you go back and watch that last restart, he got a little bit of a break in that Harvick had a problem in the middle of one and two. 
they were going to come off of turn two, three wide, and with Joey on the bottom. When Harvick had his problem, that allowed Joey now to be too wide, and that's a major difference on corner entry and how you can attack that corner. Then when he drives in there, uh, Amendinger, he has a problem. He washes up the racetrack. He cleared Amendinger, and now he's got nobody that he's got to deal with on the side of him. So he can run his car and put it where he wants to put it. So Harvick having the issue, Amendinger having the issue, without those two things happening, he gets held up. And as he's getting held up, he's going slower and Ross Chastain is driving away. So it would not have allowed Joey Logano to exercise some patience. Because there was a moment there where Ross put a block on him and Joey could have taken a different tact. He could have gotten more aggressive. He didn't because he still had enough time. So great job driving by Joey. Sometimes on restarts, what other people do greatly, what all the time on restarts, what other people do greatly affects what happens with you. He also, and I heard uh, Tyler Reddick talking about this uh, this morning, read a little bit last night, but heard him talking about it this morning about frustrations with restarts. He laid back on Reddick a little bit on the restart. Looks like to me a car length and a half or so. Got forward momentum. They dropped a green flag. He's coming the right direction. Flirting with NASCAR having to say, <laughs> hey, you know what I mean? No, you can't do that. You're not supposed to lay back. So, Joey did everything right, and, and at the same time caught some breaks. And he outduels Ross Chastain, which I thought this was really cool, Jeff, and it was sort of like this master class battle between two of the drivers who I think right now are the best restarters in Cup, but they're also probably drivers 1 and 1A for guys who can make their cars as wide as possible yeah. and position them in exactly the right position to sort of impede other cars' momentum. Is there anything else Chastain could have done? Because it seemed like he put his car exactly where he needed to put it, and eventually Logano, who knows how to play that game, just got around him because he had fresher tires. I don't think there's anything that Ross could have done that was within a realm of reasonability, you know, like like making a yeah. decision that made sense. And he could have been perhaps ridiculously aggressive on a block or something like that. He had a brief moment where he could have moved Joey, but short of those kind of things, I think Ross got everything. I think Ross did exactly what he needed to do. Clearly, he needed wanted to win that race, but he left there – in good shape with points, uh, he would have had to do something that was um, would have greatly risked his ability to have a good finish. So all in all, I, I think Ross Chastain did a hell of a job. And when I look at it, I think there's nothing reasonable he could have done different than what he did. And you know, as good as he was at managing the race, Ross Chastain, his team might have been even better. And the one pit crew was all year. Indisputable. Yeah, all year, but especially yesterday. But indisputably the best in the pits right now is the one. Well, we, we, we there's always underrated people and overrated people in the sport, and that, that his pit crew is underrated in my opinion. When you look at the stats and you look at what they've been doing all year, they've been really, really good, and it's a major advantage. We've seen – I think – listen, I, I, I think Brad Keselowski lost the championship – a couple of years ago because of a pit crew. He had a real – he had the best car. At Phoenix in yes. 2020, and, yeah, he, they, he, they cost him. He had the best car. Uh, I know Chase Elliott was really fast, but I think I think that he was better. And they just could not get him off pit road. And that will play a factor. If that team continue doing consistently what they've done throughout the year, that can make a major difference and in, in advance into the next round, but then ultimately having a shot to win a championship. Track position – you know, we talk about track position, how important it is. It's always been like that. The difference today is that the cars are so close in speed. And, you know, every every race I watch, whether I'm at home on, at the track, 
in the booth. So I have time in the scoring with me. I don't watch the race in any situation where I can't look at lap times. And it's the guy running fifth and the guy running 20th are running the same speed. They run within a tenth and a half of each other. It's hard to pass because the competition is so tough. And getting getting off a of pit road is a major advantage. Hard to pass. It's a testament, you kind of said it earlier, that the mile and a half racing this year, even though it is difficult, even though guys do run the same speed, it seems as if, and we saw it certainly with Kyle Busch, I think he went from like 26th to 3rd in the last 40 laps, recovers from losing a wheel, recovers from an early spin. Even though it's hard to pass, it seems like this car has married up really well with the mile-and-a-half tracks. It's been year. great. And, and, you know, the, and the drivers will talk about how this car is more air-sensitive than some others, <laughs> but there's more passing with this yeah, car than we've right. seen with others. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's – now, now, some of that is the tracks. I mean, you know, that, you know, Vegas is a track that's gotten wide. It's a track that you can run the bottom, the middle, the top, the second groove. Like, it's all over the place. That is the key, is that you have to have – somewhere to go if you have somewhere to go and not just follow the guy uh that's when this car seems to excel and that's you know that's something hopefully next year listen there's nothing that needs to happen to the mile and a half package i mean it's fine you could make an argument you could take a little downforce off just to make up for the downforce that the teams have gained you could make that argument the short tracks and road courses it would be nice to see something change going to next year because that's where the, tr- the car hasn't put on as great races now it hasn't been like richmond really wasn't any different phoenix really wasn't any different uh but i felt like i felt like martinsville certainly needed some work didn't feel like to me as many passes on the road courses maybe it, the numbers say it is i don't know it doesn't didn't feel like that but the mile and a half stuff's been spot on which is uh hopefully good news for nascar fans heading to homestead miami speedway this uh, next weekend and also Probably good news for Ross Chastain, that runner-up finish. He's now 18 points above the cut line, the leading driver of the seven drivers who aren't locked in right now. You know, his teammate, Daniel Suarez, also led laps. I think he and Chastain combined the lead almost 100 laps. So really, Trackhouse Racing, you could make a case. They might have been the best team on Sunday. What are the chances, do you feel like at this point, Jeff, of Ross making it to the final round? And even if he doesn't, this year for Trackhouse, I don't even know how to like sort of put it in historical context for NASCAR because it's truly been like a breakthrough year that I can't remember ever seeing a team make this kind of step. Well, the other, the other thing I want to add to that is that um, felt like they were losing a little bit of ground and they seem to have recaptured that. It felt they, like Ross was driving a little different too until yeah. s- But until even Swar- even with Suarez, I yeah. felt like Trackhouse had lost a little little speed compared to the competition and you were you're thinking okay, you know, here come the big teams and but you look at what they did this weekend and I you know, I would say that going to Homestead, I would think if you ran well at Vegas, you have a good shot at running well at Homestead as well. I I really believe that. I know engineers would say nice but some of the driving styles are the same depending on which line you're running and so i think ross chastain joey logano you know those guys that ran well this weekend i think they feel pretty good going to homestead makes you wonder what chase elliott and remember they they had a there was an industry-wide test at homestead right so a lot of teams use the stuff that they learned there and tried to apply this weekend and worked for some and it didn't for others so it'll be interesting to see after an industry-wide test, who who can run well at Homestead and who struggles? Certainly, it seemed as if the word coming out of that test was that the Team Penske cars were strong, and Joey Logano obviously took something from that to the mile-and-a-half track of Vegas. Ryan Blaney, his teammate, 
Had a good day in stage one and stage two. Wins stage two, finishes fifth in stage one. And then while running second, Rex ends up finishing 28th after leading 39 laps. He's still in relatively good shape in that he's only down by 11 points from the cut line at this point. But obviously, Ryan Blaney misses a golden opportunity here to advance to the championship for for the first time. What do you make of, he took all the blame. He said, this was on me. I just pushed the car over the edge. Kyle Larson did it last week. Ross Chastain did it last week. Both those guys wrecked at the Roval, not needing to wreck. Right there, there's there's Ryan Blaney that's sitting there with, you know, two good stages. If he just finishes his day off and has a top six or seven, it's really good shape. And it just shows you that, you know, I believe, I've, I've always, you know, when I drove race cars, I believe that you drove them just a touch below the limit, right? That's not the case with this car. The guys that push and the guys that are willing to spin out, the guys that are willing to get into the wall, they're the ones that run good. I, I mean, Kyle Busch spun out all by himself in, in, on Sunday. And we see it every week. We see drivers get in the wall. We see them spin out. We see the, them lose control of the car. And it's because the car doesn't talk to them in how they feel the car like anything else they've ever driven. So they think they're at that limit, that they're okay at this limit, and then it bites them. And I actually think that's great. I actually think that that's the art of driving a race car is knowing where that is. But consistently, you look at the people that are willing to put it, to willing to spin it out, willing to hit the wall, willing to do those things, they're the ones that run well. And it's very interesting to me. That's where we are. You know, Tyler Reddick, the very first test, once they said, okay, here's the rule, here's what we think the rules are, here's, here's, these are kind of where we're going to try to race next year, the very first test at Charlotte Motor Speedway, after the, all those things have been made, he wrecks like three times. <laughs> and he, I'm like, what? You know, what, what, what you? you know, I went over, what the hell are you doing? He's like, <laughs> I got to learn. Like, we made a decision. We're coming here to go as fast as we can go, and that means we can take it home in a basket. That's what it means. From that day forward, that's what drivers have been doing. They've been trying to figure out what the limit is, and it's more difficult in this car than it's been in the past. That's fascinating, the way you kind of frame that, that the car is speaking to them in a different way. So Ryan Blaney might think that he's at 9 tenths, and maybe he was with the Gen 6, but he's at 10 tenths or a little and bit And he young. was the lap before, right? Or he thought he was at 94%, and he could go get you know 97 and be okay, and he was at 100, and it stepped around on him. I mean, that's, bluntly, that's what we've been missing in this sport. That's what... I don't like to see race car drivers wreck, but what I like to see them do is dance on that edge of grip. And when you can dance on the edge of grip and do it consistently better than others, that's the best. And the ones that are willing to dance on that edge are going to step over every now and then. Yeah. And this car has brought that back. I remember racing at the height of this sport, and it wasn't uncommon for somebody to get a backup car out. You had to you had to dance on that edge, and right. we got away from that. We got a, we had cars that they just had tons of grip, very little off throttle time. Even prior to the downforce high low horsepower high downforce package, even prior to that, with the great big quarter panels and all the side skirts and all that, even with those cars, they just had so much side grip. This car, what happens mechanically, what happens with this car? is something we've never dealt with before. And so when the car is going straight, it makes a lot of downforce. And when it's going straight, 
I mean, relatively speaking, it makes a lot of downforce. Yeah. Not in historic terms as far as NASCAR. So you're going straight down the racetrack, everything's great. When you get a little bit loose, and the car now is no longer going straight, you get a little bit loose, you disturb all the airflow underneath the car. And so that air going straight underneath the car is what makes it downforce. Now when the air goes through the car like this, it loses downforce. And not only does it lose downforce, it loses side force. So when you turn a car into the corner, this air pushing on the right rear quarter panel, keeping it from spinning out, that's side force. This car loses side force, gains front downforce, and loses rear downforce when it turns. So if you're going in the corner and that thing gets a little loose, you lose everything that you used to gain. <laughs> that's very counterintuitive. Yeah. So and you go back and think about cars. We used to see them going down the racetrack sideways yeah the crab walking right that makes downforce that makes side force they wanted to do that right this car you never see those cars they could with the rear suspension adjustments they could run at daytona talladega you see them backwards you see the left rear quarter panel out because they're trying to get the air off the spoiler right but you never see them the other way that's because when they when they turn they lose downforce and they lose side force so when you get a little loose you become a lot loose and so understanding how to manage that is really difficult. And that's that mechanical thing that's going on arrow-wise is what's causing that issue. And the low sidewall tire has a major difference as well. Those two things collectively have put drivers dancing on the edge and occasionally they'll step over it. Which is what was a criticism of the last couple of years was th these cars, they don't spin out. People would say they're too stuck to the ground. They're yep. almost too easy to drive, which obviously isn't true. They're never easy to drive, but it certainly seems to your point as if it's easier to spin out with this car. Do you feel as if it's matched up with certain drivers better in terms of their styles? Or sure. Is it it's, it's always been like that. I mean, we've always had moments where radial tires had a major radial tires were a lot like what we're dealing with now like you would when radials first came out you'd be dry you'd be like yeah i'm good and man you're pointed <laughs> the wrong way before you even knew it and so some drivers liked radial tires others didn't and that also has to do with the team's ability to adapt and adjust and get you feeling what you need to feel so it's not always just the driver it's the what what the driver's sitting in as well but yeah i mean listen dale earnhardt didn't always win races there was a point in his career where he could not run well and he didn't forget how to drive he wasn't comfortable driving what it was that, that he was sitting in so kyle larson going from series high 10 wins last year to two this year is do you think that's due well to i think other people got better they were not able to have the dominance for a lot of reasons and some of it was just because other people got better and everybody's been learning and yes the learning that's happening, what is the learning curve that's happening right now today? And then also, I would believe this too to be true. You know, what's the old saying, money buys speed, how fast you want to go? Yeah. So there's no question that hasn't gone away. But now Hendrick does not get to develop their rear suspension system. They have to take this rear suspension system and figure out how to maximize it. That's a major difference. There's still plenty of adjustments. There's still plenty of opportunities to make good decisions and bad decisions. But you take away the ability to engineer every single part on the car, then that changes the way that you have to look at that race car. And what that means is all these teams are learning. And most likely we're going to get ourselves in a position at some point where somebody is just better than everybody else. And, and NASCAR will have to figure out how to deal with that because the teams are learning how do you deal with this car. And 
there are still plenty of adjustments and plenty of things that you can do to make the car go fast or hurt it. Stay tuned on that. A fabulous tangent there from the mayor. Sorry. The state of NASCAR in 2022. No, I, I learned a lot. I hadn't even thought about a lot of those things before until you explained it in great detail. I do want to get back to um, playoffs and just run through some of the other contenders and what they experienced, starting with the most unfortunate driver who was coming off the win at the Roval. Christopher Bell gets involved in this crash. I want to get to what that means here in one second. But first, Christopher Bell actually doesn't come out of this too bad, Jeff. I mean, he's 23 points down. Could almost make the case, I mean, yes, he's he's last among the eight playoff drivers who are still eligible for the championship, but 23 points, can you make that up at Homestead and Martinsville without a win? I mean, I know they're going into Homestead thinking this is a race we got to win, but... So I would caution I would caution against you know, the Hail Mary kind of emotion. I think that you're right. I think if they have solid days and they get stage points, right. but they got to get eight points, nine points, seven points every stage. They can't get one or two. He's got to qualify well and then – Qualify well, stage well, finish well. If they do those things, other people are going to have problems. If they do those things, then they – yes, they could – get themselves in, but I do think other teams will have to have problems. And I'm not saying they have to have massive problems, but you got to have teams that aren't getting good stage points and not having good finishes and having bad pit stops. They don't have to be catastrophic issues, but they just – if you have all of those teams having solid days, it'll be hard to make up that many points. So Christopher Bell is in this position because he finished last, and that was because of contact he had with Kyle Larson, put him in the wall. Larson got hit in the right rear by Bubba Wallace after Wallace had been squeezed kind of up into the wall by Kyle Larson making this three-wide move. You were immediately outspoken about this during the broadcast. Then they go down the front straightaway, and it just looks like to me Bubba hangs a left to retaliate. And I got a problem with that. You're going as fast as they're going, and you hang a guy in the right rear of quarter pound. That is exceptionally dangerous. That's racing right there, Larson's fault for sure. But that right there is not acceptable. Checks out Christopher Bell. That's an exceptionally dangerous move. Yeah, I just, I just can't. I, I just can't. That's not right. I mean, Kyle Larson clearly messed up and got Bubba in the wall. That's on Larson, but a retaliation in the right rear quarter panel on a mile and a half racetrack. That is exceptionally dangerous. Tell us why you reacted that way and why what Bubba Wallace did and hitting somebody in the right rear at speed, like why that's wrong. Well, it's an exceptionally dangerous move to – catch somebody in the right rear quarter panel and turn them driver's side door into the wall. And not only into the wall, into oncoming traffic. At the speeds that they're going, that's just not an acceptable retaliation. It crosses the line of what anyone can consider to be a reasonable response. And so he exposed Kyle Larson to something that Kyle Larson, Kyle Larson messed up. That wreck was Kyle Larson's fault, in my view. But he didn't deserve to be exposed to the level of danger that he was exposed to. And Christopher Bell damn sure didn't. So I've been there. And most of us, I would be willing to say, as humans, have been in situations where you get so mad you lose it, right, for a moment. I fully understand it, right? But we have to hold our drivers to a level of accord. They have to be held responsible for their actions. And it does matter how fast you're going. It does matter what racetrack you're on. It does. The circumstances do matter. So it's just not 
a reasonable response. Kyle Larson wrecked him. I mean, there's no debate in that. But the response wasn't reasonable, and it was it just exposed too many people to to things that weren't weren't necessary. So even though Bubble was claiming that he didn't have steering, it seems fairly obvious that this seemed to be an intentional move to wreck Kyle Larson. Bubba Wallace then leaves his car, walks on a hot track, approaches the number five Chevrolet, puts his hands on Kyle Larson, shoves him a few times, and then refuses an official directing him toward a safety vehicle. And then also in his interview with Marty Snyder, Bubba Wallace essentially shows no remorse. So there's a lot here for NASCAR to digest as they consider how to address this and how should NASCAR address it? Is a suspension possibly on the table here for Bubba Wallace? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, listen, I think that I think a fine, a penalty is coming. There's some sort of penalty coming. There's just no way it's not. I was shocked years ago when Carl Edwards intentionally hooked Brad Keselowski at Atlanta. The re- NASCAR response to that was unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, that was probation for Carl Edwards, and that was it. I mean, that was that was ridiculous. I mean, he put he he put him in a really really bad spot, and fans in a bad spot too. And I, I was shocked. Okay, and I'm not a guy that likes to go back and relive things. We did this, they did that, because times change and rules change. But that was wrong, and that was a wrong approach. And I don't think NASCAR is going to make that mistake again. I don't think that with all the conversation about safety, they're not going to make that mistake again. I don't know what the penalty is going to be. I think that you can make a case that here's where I struggle with penalties. So, last week, Cole Custer got penalized for doing what he was told to do. Cole Custer has no choice but to do what he was told to do. Why is that a driver penalty? Shouldn't that be an owner penalty? Like, someone, like, that should be a penalty that is a management-level penalty. Bubba Wallace acted on his own, right? That should be a driver penalty. Why should Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan be penalized for what their driver did? Like, I think that we need to revisit how we structure these penalties. Denny Hamlin had nothing to do with that, Rick. Like, hold the driver responsible. Michael Jordan had nothing to do with that, Rick. Hold the driver responsible. So I think that we got to revisit how we look at penalties because you can penalize a team for something a driver did, and the team had nothing to do with it, right? So somebody's going to be responsible. Same thing, same conversation with pit crew penalties when a wheel gets left loose. Who, you know, the crew chief, he's gone. He, what do you have to do with it, right? But they're trying to hold someone responsible to try to make people accountable. I got no problem with that. But I, I don't know how Michael and Denny could have handled that situation. They had nothing to do with it. So, you know, you can make an argument that a suspension is warranted. You can make an argument that a fine and and points are you know based on previous penalties are warranted I don't know what they're going to decide I think it's a difficult it's a difficult uh, penalties are always difficult uh, because it has to meet the crime I always felt that Matt Kenseth got a bad deal on the Joey Logano thing from Martinsville because how the hell was he supposed to know the penalty was going to be that big hmm. what he did was wrong what he did what should have never happened but how the hell is he supposed to know he's going to get penalized three races and and I remember having a conversation with uh, Brian France about it, and I'm like, look, that's he. Does, how is he? And he so he knows. No, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> he has there was no nothing that was idea. Codified that, like, hey, you're going to be out right. for two races if you intentionally. So when you wreck when you penalize Bubba Wallace, it sets an example for others, right? And as far as pushing Kyle Larson, I got no problem with that. I mean, whatever. You nobody got hit, nobody got hurt. I don't. I personally don't think throwing punches it is. I think it's silly. I, I don't. Just don't. 
I don't think we need it in our sport to be successful. I, I just don't think it has a place. You want to go there and push somebody and, you know, things happen, things happen. But I, I, th- I think there's a limit to that. But I got no problem with Bubba Wallace going and confronting him. I wasn't, you know, I haven't gone back and watched a replay. I wasn't, when I was watching the whole thing, I wasn't offended by, I didn't think he did anything that was, like, crazy to the official. Like No, he kind of just pushed his hand away when the official put his hand on him and tried to direct him towards Yeah, and even safety. at that, it, you know, that's almost like, hey, man, I'm fine. Like, right. You know, just I need calm. a minute to Yeah, to like, I didn't. Yeah. But maybe I hadn't watched it multiple times. But he needs to be held responsible, and people need, drivers need to know retaliation reaches a point where it's not acceptable and that was not acceptable and he'll have to whatever nascar decides he'll have to accept it because it's there's really no listen you i appreciated him saying you know i lost my steering and you know but i don't think there's any you know we had data that showed him wide open in the gas right you know if you don't have steering you're, you're not wide open in the gas you know that's an immediate response and i'll say this too and I've said this to you many times. I don't hold a driver responsible for what they say as soon as they get out of a race car. I don't go back and say, well, you said. I, I, no. When you got that much emotion and you got that many things going on up in here and all the effort, all the work, all the dedication, your own television, you're trying to represent your sponsors, you got all these things happening at once. I don't really care what Bubba Wallace said. It doesn't matter to me. I would have liked to see him show some remorse, but at the same time, I'm not going to hold that against him because it's so much emotion. It's so much emotion. And listen, good people can do wrong things. You know, it's competition, and competition brings out the worst in all of us. I mean, that's why we have so many rules, to be honest with you. It's because competition brings the worst out in us as crew chiefs, as engineers, as team members, as drivers. It brings out the worst in us. We do things that we know are wrong. (laughs) We know they're wrong. But we do them because in the in the interest of winning, and it's a tough situation. I'm a you know I think Bubba's done an incredible job this year. He's brought this year. Bubba Wallace is the best he's been. He's shown what he can do in a race car. Did it again on Sunday. Yeah, one stage one. Yeah, he's yeah. becoming the driver that you want to have on your team that sponsors want to be part of. He's becoming that guy, and he's showing people what he can do. And this was a step back. He'll overcome it. It's not – he'll be fine, but it's probably going to hurt for a little while. want to wrap up by getting to Homestead. And uh, we, we mentioned Chase Briscoe. He had that amazing comeback and now goes into Homestead where it's a track he really likes. And on the flip side, we've got Hendrick Motorsports. William Byron had a very up-and-down day, finishes 13th after pitting from 11th before the last restart. Kind of a strange move, but I guess it didn't hurt him too badly. He's six points below the cut line. But then, as you mentioned, Jeff, I mean, regular season champion Chase Elliott, just inexplicably mediocre, finishes 21st, loses 14 points off of his lead, entering round of eight, still up by 17 points. But it seemed as if he was almost telegraphing this at the Roval, where he didn't strike an air of confidence about the round of eight in these next two tracks. <laughs> does um, he ever strike an air of he confidence? Doesn't. <laughs> he I'm doesn't, but like, it, it felt like even this was a lot for him <laughs> in terms of the Debbie Downer. I can't – that's just who he is. I mean, yeah. he, his personality is – he's suspect that things are going to work out. Going I don't think he's ever going to say, yep, this is us. <laughs> like, you know, Denny's like, yep, this round's perfect. Yep, I don't yeah, think yeah. Chase Elliott's ever going to be that guy. It's just his personality, and and I think that's part of what makes him great. I think that you have to recognize your strengths and weaknesses, and, and that attitude that Chase has brings him strength. Even though it doesn't show strength, it brings him strength because it makes him work, puts pressure on his team. 
keeps him hungry, right? All those things. Like so, Mark Martin was the same way. I mean, Mark Martin was he'd run third, and the world was coming. Oh, I can't drive. I forgot how to drive. I'm horrible. And that kept him hungry. And so, you know, back to the William Byron thing. You know, I thought that was a strange call. Also, that you it was know, the driver's decision. Apparently, he well, didn't. but here's so. Here, but here's what I'm going to say. We talked earlier about drivers drive by feel, right? He was feeling something, and he was nervous that not only was he not going to go forward, he was going to go back. So he drove the he he drove him down pit road, and we don't know what the result would have been. But yeah, it could have been worse. Correct. He could, thought so, certainly. Right. Yeah. So it's easy to say, well, he lost two spots, but he might have lost eight. Yeah. Because he was dealing with something that he was like, look, I know we're giving up track position. I know we're going to do that, but we need to do it. And I'll give his crew chief credit. There's times you got to crush your driver. There's other times you got to say, nope, we're not doing that. And here's why I need you. This is when I need you to be your best. But he trusted his driver, and we don't know how that result would have ended up either way. But if William feels like that's what he needs to do, then, you know, if you can, that's what you need to do. So some questions for the Hendrick drivers to answer going into Homestead. Denny Hamlin goes into Homestead with a six-point lead on the cut line uh, in fourth and points. And as you mentioned, uh, came into this round with a ton of swagger, said all these tracks were P1 for him. But he struck a little bit of a sense of concern uh, about Homestead because he said that at that recent test, he felt as if they unloaded fastest, but by the end of the second day, everybody had kind of caught up. So how do you see things unfolding for Denny Hamlin? I mean, he had a really solid day at Vegas to start 31st and end up finishing top five. How many points? He gained 11 points. So And six points above the cut line now. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that's a solid day. I mean, not a great day. Uh, Joey had a great day, but that's a solid day. Yeah. And uh, they got off to a slow start, qualified poorly, didn't let that prevent them from doing what they needed to do. Got up front pretty quickly. You know, it's going to be interesting. Like, I, 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 I still – we I. I think every now and then that Chase Elliott's going to be the guy that can dominate and, and win the championship, and then I go right back to, like, I don't know who. Like, I just don't know. It's been like, the theme I, of the year, I, right? I don't know. Yeah. But eventually, two weeks in a row of qualifying poorly for Denny, they can't do that to three more weeks. Now, you might get by with it Phoenix because it only matters if you make that round. It only matters who finishes. Stage points no longer matter. But I don't think they can keep qualifying the way they've qualified the last two weeks and get done what they need to get done. I don't think you can keep dodging that bullet. Not with stage points. Yeah, certainly something to watch uh, this Sunday at Homestead on NBC. Before we get out of here, one more thing. Kurt Busch makes the announcement in Vegas that he's done for this season and he is not returning full-time next year. He might run some select races. You had a tweet today that you're excited to see what's next, and you've talked extensively, Jeff, on this pod the last couple years about the changes you've witnessed and Kurt Busch from when you were a teammate with him at Roush and you were not the biggest fan back then. Yeah, we didn't like each other at all. <laughs> and, and here we are oh, almost 20 years later. He's a Hall of Fame driver, former champion. How do you think Kurt Busch will be remembered as a driver? And obviously it seems like he's still going to stay involved in NASCAR. Well, I think, I think that he does want to stay involved. I think he wants to be part of the sport. Uh, he's talking about, you know, wanting to drive other things, but this is where his heart is. And he wants to contribute. Uh, he wants to be part of the sport and helps move the sport forward. Uh, help drivers, help young drivers. He will be remembered remembered as a fierce competitor, a guy that you know made some mistakes but overcame them. You know, became later in his career still a really good race car driver, but having a, a, a much better perspective of things. You know, I've been really I've talked to Kurt a lot this year, uh, more than ever, even when we were teammates, and I find Kurt to be really well thought out, has opinions about things. 
Uh, you can. He likes to be educated. He likes to know what's going on. I wish he could have seen his career in the way he really wanted it to, but rarely do we get that opportunity. There's only a few that get to go out the way they wanted to. There's only a few, and it's a very few. But he's a guy that young drivers should look at and, and recognize you're going to make mistakes along the way. You have to push hard. You have to tr- work to be better. You have to work hard on the racetrack. You've got to give 100% on the racetrack. You have to recognize mistakes, fix it, right, and get better and better and better. He's a tremendous role model for that. And we're not, we're, we're all, none of us are perfect. And when you are a public figure and you make mistakes, it's out, right? Everybody knows it. And that's different than most people deal with. And Kurt's had some bad days, and he's had some unbelievably impressive days. And he's, that's made him who he is today. And we're always changing. We're always growing. We're always evolving. And Kurt's evolved. You know, his evolution has just continued to make him better. Wise words and perspective from the mayor, who always appreciate joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you, Jeff. buddy. We appreciate Jeff Burton for joining us on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Thanks to producer Aaron Feldstein and motorsports manager Emily Conboy for coordinating the mayor's appearance. The NASCAR Cup Series heads to Homestead Miami Speedway this weekend. Coverage gets started Sunday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Check out NBCSports.com NASCAR for detailed schedules, start times, and coverage as always. And every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern on USA Network, it's the new docu-series, Race for the Championship. This is the inside look at the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season. In the world of NASCAR, every driver has their story. The new docu-series, Race for the Championship, will give you an all-access pass behind the scenes like you've never seen before. Catch Race for the Championship Thursdays at 10 Eastern, 9 Central on USA Network. And if you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast.